Numbers 26. The summer of 1944 was the beginning of a horrible ordeal for 26 Canadian airmen. They have been on a train for five days with very little food, very little water. And they are pulling up and beginning to see for the first time what is known as the Buchenwald concentration camp. One Canadian recalls the events of the day in this way. As we got close to the camp and saw what was inside the camp, a terrible, terrible Fear and horror entered our hearts. We thought, what is this? Where are we going? Why are we here? He said, as you got closer to the camp and started to enter the camp, we saw these human skeletons walking around. Old men, young men, boys, just skin and bone. We thought, what are we getting into? During their first three weeks at the Buchenwald, the Canadian prisoners were totally shaven, forced to sleep outside with no shoes, no shelter. Eventually, they were moved inside of uh, a very crowded barracks in which they were forced to sleep on wooden benches. While there, they experienced inhumane conditions, including starvation, disease, and constant, constant threatenings. From the guards. One pilot lost more than 65 pounds while he was there. The men witnessed horrific beatings, hangings, and torture. This concentration camp was also a death camp. And so these 26 Canadian airmen saw bodies piled up after they had been killed. And they are now waiting the crematorium. This is a very real picture of a demoralizing and desperate situation that our men went through in World War II. They were held there with no escape. No way out. And even if they did try to escape, <clears throat> it was usually thwarted. It was very difficult to escape something like this. And if they were caught, they would be punished severely. It's a gruesome and cold reality of what our men went through. But can I tell you, this is also a physical representation of the spiritual prison that sin can hold us in. I want to give you something to think about this morning. Sin's trap leaves us desperate and weak. You can picture these men in a concentration camp. They're desperate. They have no food. They have no water. They're, they have no provisions. They have very little morale. They're desperate and they're just weak. Human skeletons was the adjective that we saw. Last time we were in Numbers chapter 26, we looked at the fact that the children of Israel were committing whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. And here we are really, again, watching the children of Israel struggling to overcome the sin. As if they're feeling trapped. And you may be in that position this morning. 
You may be struggling with sin. You may be uh, feeling trapped in your sin, just not knowing what to do about it. And sin is like that. Sin is literally like a concentration camp. And often it leaves no survivors. If anything, they're malnutritioned, skeletal-looking Christians. Because sin traps us. Numbers chapter 26 you'll look in verse, excuse me, I said 26, I meant 25 verse 6. I apologize about that. Numbers 25 and verse 6. The Bible says this, and behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel, and those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God, and made an atonement. For the children of Israel. I'd like to preach to you this morning in a sermon I've entitled, Discovering the Power Over Sin. Discovering the Power Over Sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the video that we've seen. Father, thank you that you do free us. That your mercy has made us new. And Father, I pray that you would help us to never forget that. Father, as we approach sin and the topic of it this morning, would you clearly show us from your word how to have power over that sin, how to escape the concentration camp, the the torture that sin puts us through, and eventually the Bible calls us death. Father, I pray you would give us great clarity this morning. We love you so much. Thank you for dying on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Discovering the power over sin. There is a way to overcome sin in our lives. How many of you would believe that? A couple of you, good. Sin doesn't have to trap us. Sin doesn't have to keep us behind bars. We don't have to sit there and just wonder, how am I going to escape it? There is a way. We just need to discover the power in order to get out. These men that were in these concentration camps, I'm sure, were looking for ways to get out. In fact, as an officer in World War II, if you were an allied officer, it was your sworn duty, if you were in a concentration camp, to constantly and, and, and always try to escape. That was your obligation as an officer. The first step in understanding or discovering the power over sin is that we need to understand what sin looks like. We need to assess the situation. We need to look and see what's going on, understand its components, understand its makeup, understand its strongholds, understand its weaknesses, and it will aid us in overcoming it. So the first thing that I want you to see this morning is the pressure of sin. 
the pressure of sin. Sin has a pressure that sometimes we don't even know how to describe. We don't even know how to put it into words, but the fact of the matter is there's a pressure in sin. Why is there a pressure in sin? Well, the first thing I want you to see underneath this is there's a presence of sin. Sin's presence. Again, if you can put yourself in this situation here in the Bible, the, the Bible says that the children of Israel were committing whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. The, the presence of sin was everywhere. The daughters of Moab, again, we, as we discussed a couple weeks ago, they were not morally chaste women. They were flaunting themselves. They were putting themselves out there. They were, they were not uh, 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 trying to cover themselves up. They were easy girls, we would say. And so these are, are constantly being out there. They were not morally obscure. They were extremely open with their sexuality. So it was there. It was easy for them to see. And I would assume that everywhere you looked, sin was there. I believe that in this instance everywhere you looked you would see it and you just couldn't seem to get away from it maybe the only place you could get away from it was if you were to go into your tent and kind of hide there and say I don't want to see it I don't want to hear it I don't want to do anything with it I want you to hear this sin is present everywhere in our society sometimes it seems no matter where you look you're going to see it. You're go- you can't get away from it. Social media, it's everywhere. Internet advertisements. Even emails now you have to be very careful with. Video games, I'm sure I'm, I'm unfortunately not in that uh, state of mind in which I play video games. Um, but I'm sure if they're anything like everything else I see, there are some video games that can do that television and the list could go on and on and on and on sin is ever present sin is more easily accessible now than I believe it ever was because of our phones it's everywhere we see it It, 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 its presence is just there we partake in sin with just a touch of a screen presence of sin is all around us and it is literally flaunting itself and begging us to partake in it the problem with all of this is we see it all the time. And when you see something all the time, what happens is you literally become desensitized to it. Oh, that's just normal. And listen, I live in this world. I know. You become desensitized to what sin is. And, and, and so this is, this is literally one of the strongholds of sin is the fact of the matter is that it's present always. And it's before us always and we become desensitized to it and we begin even justifying it. You see, that's where I believe it's wrong. Is sometimes we do become desensitized to it, not because uh, of, uh, that we believe in it, but just because that it's present. But I really think we take the next step and we really become really wrong is when we start justifying it. Well, they were just born that way or, well... Maybe they weren't in the right frame of mind or whatever it is. Listen, when we begin justifying sin, we're in a dangerous situation. Just the mere presence of sin makes its pressure incredibly overwhelming. It's everywhere. But not only was there a presence of sin here, there was a popularity of sin. Look with me in verse 14 and 15 of our passage. 
Numbers chapter 25, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says this. Now the name of the Israelite that was slain, it gets specific. Watch this. Even that was slain with the Midianitish woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianitish woman that was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zur. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. You see, the people that were slain, these people that walked into the camp, they were high. They were prominent people. They were up there. They weren't just some lowly, you know, no good, you know, kind of in the dark citizens. These were prominent figures, and it was popular to be committing this sin. I mean, everybody was doing it, and so especially these high-ranking people. If you weren't partaking in the daughters of Moab, people would probably begin to make fun of you. Because it was socially acceptable and it was popular to do so. They were probably saying things like this. Even our princes are doing it. If our princes are doing it, are you saying that you're better than they are? And you begin to be making fun of because you're not partaking in it. And, and it was sin was popular. Can I say this again? In our society today, sin is popular. Blatant sin is popular. Everybody's doing it. Come on, what do you think you're better than everybody else? Our politicians are doing it. Our world leaders are doing it. Our, our businessmen are doing it. Our sports stars are doing it. Our Hollywood actors are doing it. Everybody is partaking in sin. Are you better than they? Tabloids are everywhere promoting it. Clergy even are partaking in open sin and unashamedly promoting it. This makes it all the more difficult to defeat sin because of the pressure that's put on it from the mere presence of it and the popularity. Sin is a powerful driving force that has momentum from the crowd. Watching basketball, I heard the Raptors won again last night. They're headed to the finals. Listen, I heard the crowd was amazing. There's a momentum when there's a crowd. And there's a crowd around you that's promoting sin, that's popularity with sin and, and going through sin and loving sin and, and, and promoting it. And it's everywhere there's pressure in sin. It's momentum pretty depressing, isn't it, on a Sunday morning? So the question still remains, is there a way to have power over the sin? Is there a way to overcome this sin? So let's continue to look at our story. I want you to see the second point, the passion of the individual. The passion of the individual. Look with me again at verse 11. The Bible says this. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was, watch this, zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. The word zealous from Webster's Dictionary means this. Passionate enthusiasm in the pursuit of anything. He was zealous. He was 
passionately enthused for anything. So he was zealous for God's sake. He was passion. How does he get this passion? I want to show you two things under this. Number one, he had a perception. A perception. What does that mean? Look with verse, down to verse 6 with me. Excuse me, verse 7. These people come in to the congregation of Israel. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, what are the next two words? Saw it. You see, there's a perception. You see things. Phinehas was willing to see the sin. He didn't turn a blind eye to it. He didn't cover his, his eyes. It was blatant. It was open. And he recognized it. You see, it's incredibly easy to be in denial about our sin. Folks, let, let me make a statement that I, to address this. I am not talking this morning about sin in our community. I am not talking about sin in our political realm. I am not talking about sin in politics. I'm not talking about sin in Hollywood. I'm talking about sin in your life and in my life. Because if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, we need to take care of this sin problem. So Phineas sees the sin, and it's so easy for us to turn a blind eye to our sin. Well, I mean, I can rationalize, I can justify, I'm going to put that blinder up and no, I, I, I don't really see what's going on. Maybe it's just because we enjoy it so much. We're going to put that blinder up. Perhaps we just don't want to suffer the consequences of confronting our sin, and so we look away. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, famous verse, most of us in here would, would know it. The Bible says, for all have sinned. We better face that reality. I am a sinner. The person standing before you this morning is a sinner, and so are you. You have sin in your life that you need to deal with. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. We all have a sin problem. The question is, are you willing to admit it? The question is, are you willing to drill down and see it? I could stand up here for the next two hours and list sin after sin after sin and get specific about things. But listen, I believe that the Holy Spirit has already touched things in your life, not even right now, but past. And you know what they are. And you know you need to see them and do something about them. God is showing you right now, will you choose to see your sin? That's the first step. What's the second thing? The second thing is the pursuit of righteousness. The pursuit of righteousness. Not only did he see it, he didn't stop there. He did something about it. His passion came from seeing and doing. <clears throat> I believe Phineas didn't want to just sit idly by and let it happen. He moved on it. He did something about it. And I ask you, what sin do you see every single day that you're just letting go by? I see it, but it's really not that big of a deal. Oh, I mean, everybody's doing it. Oh, if I look at that person, you know, I'm better than that person, so this isn't that bad. What sin are you rationalizing away? What sin are you lackadaisical about? I'll take you over to James chapter 1. Keep your finger there. We'll come back. James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1 and verse 22. 
Again, familiar passage bears repeating here. James chapter 1 and verse 22, the Bible says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Look at this, ties in so well, verse 23. For if a man, for if any, <clears throat> excuse me, be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. He sees it. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway, and, and straightway, Forgetteth what manner of man he was. It's like walking into a mirror, looking at yourself, seeing your hair all out of whack, your face disgusting because mine always is every morning. And you look at yourself and you go, I see it, but I'm not going to do anything about it. You walk away. Folks, pursuit. Pursuing righteousness. Phineas had to do something about it. He couldn't just sit idly by and let it go. He had to do something. He had to, he had to move on it. The Bible says that you deceive yourself. You deceive yourself. I often will see people out in society, and I think to myself, did you look in a mirror today? And sometimes I want to ask them, and I can just imagine what the answer would be. Yeah, but I don't, I don't care. You should care. Right? All of us would think that. But we do the same thing with our sin. I saw it, but I just don't care. You should care. Because the only person you're deceiving is yourself. You're not deceiving God he knows. You're not deceiving your spouse. She or he knows. Everybody around you probably knows what the sin is or that there's something going on. You're only deceiving yourself. And if Phineas had turned a blind eye to what he saw, he would literally only be deceiving himself. And if everybody, just like everybody else did, they deceived themselves and deceived themselves. If we are going to have power over sin, we need to be passionate about seeing our sin and doing something about it. You know what the problem is? We're like people in concentration camps. We're good with not pressing against the status quo. We, don't, we want to escape. I mean, deep down we want to escape, but we, won't, we don't want to do what it has. We don't want to uh, put out the effort and, and receive what we're going to receive from trying to escape. We're scared of the consequences. We're scared of what's going on. And so we want to just, I'm just going to stay here. It's safer, it's better if I just don't move. We need to be passionate about doing something. Why? Why should we? Give me one good reason, Pastor Yeomans. Give me one good reason why I should be passionate about my sin. Why in the world? Herein lies the true power over sin. So if you've slept this entire time, get this. Number three, I want to show you the power over sin. The first thing I want you to see, though, is the pseudo part. Anybody know what pseudo means? I needed a P. It worked really well. Pseudo means fake. 
You see, there's always an interesting side of defeating something. There's always an interesting side of overcoming something. I want you to see something. Go to verse 12 of Numbers chapter 25. Pseudo means fake or artificial. What, what is the reason? Why should we be overcoming sin? Why should we be passionate about it? Look at verse 12. Wherefore say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it. And his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Why? Because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. You say, Pastor Yomans, that's God talking. How can this be fake? Here's what I want to get across today. Most of us look at something like this and we go, I'm going to defeat sin so that God will say something nice about me. Or I'm going to defeat sin so that I get God's blessing. Or I'm going to defeat this, that, or the other thing so that God will look down upon me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And please don't misunderstand me. That is true. The Bible is true, but that is the wrong reason to overcome anything. It's the wrong reason. So what is the reason? Why? That's a fake. That's an artificial reason to do anything. Listen, if I give you $20, will you do this? Sure. But would you not do it if I said I'm not going to give you anything? You see, the fact of the matter is that's just fake. It's artificial. This may or may not happen as a part of overcoming sin. But this should not be the reason we have power over sin. This should not be the motivating factor. Blessing and high regard and an everlasting priesthood. That should not be our motivating factor. What should it be? Let's look at the real reason. Look at verse 6. The Bible says this, and behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of, watch, all the congregation of the children of Israel who were, what, weeping where? Before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, please, you can disagree with me here. The Bible doesn't specifically say this. But you know what I believe they were doing Besides weeping, praying. Praying. I believe that the first step in actually working through and gaining power over sin is prayer. My opinion, you can take it for what you want, but why do you think they were weeping? Why do you think they were weeping before the tabernacle? Why weren't they weeping in their tents? Or why weren't they weeping anywhere else? Because they were before the tabernacle, I believe this. They were before the tabernacle begging God to forgive their sins. Begging God to stop the plague that's going on right now. And they're spending time in prayer to God. Verse 7 shows that Phineas was in this group. Look at verse 7. And when Phineas, the son of Elias, and the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up where? From among the congregation. He was there. He was in the middle of this thing. He was praying. He was seeking after God. He was, he was begging God to stop the plague. He was begging God to forgive the sins. I don't know if he lusted after a woman. The Bible never says. But the fact of the matter is he's there. He's in the middle of this whole thing, weeping before God. 
Let me ask you something. The thought of this question convicts me. How much do you pray? You see, if we're going to have power over sin, the first step is prayer. See, Pastor, you almost, I mean, I pray for my meals and, you know, I don't feel the power over sin before that. See, Pastor Yeomans, I, I pray before I go to bed or, 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 or any of these things. Listen, I, I, prayer is all of those things. But when was the last time you got on your knees and said, God, show me my sin? God, I know I'm a sinner. Would you please take this sin away from me? Would you please help me to overcome this sin? Would you please? Prayer. You see, prayer does something in the heart of the one praying. I believe this. I believe it knits their heart to God's heart. Again, they're begging God, please take this away. We're sorry. Please forgive our sins. And their heart begins to be knit to God. It allows your heart to be opened to God's heart. And God's heart to be open to you, and the communication is made at not a head level, folks, at a heart level, in which God can now make some progress. And this inevitably brings about the true reason we can have power over sin. And I want to show you the final point it's priorities. Priorities. You see, I want you to look here in this passage again. Look at verse 11. I know we've kind of bounced all over the place, but look at this verse in verse 11. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel. While he was zealous for what? For my sake. Not for his sake. Not for the children of Israel's sake. But for God's sake. Among them, and I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Jump down to verse 13. Watch this now. This is so important. If you miss this, you've missed everything. Verse 13, the Bible says, And he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Why? Because he was zealous. Why? For his God. For his God. And made an atonement for the children of Israel. Here's the fact is Phineas's priorities. Were God, his people, and himself. God was his priority. He cared more about what God thought than even what he thought. He knew God was not honored by what was going on. You see, folks, our sin does not honor God. Our sin, God hates. Phineas knew that God was even angered by what was going on. You know why he was acting? He was acting Based on what God thought. You want to have power over sin? Start acting on based on what God thinks. Not on what you think. Because what you think will trap you. And trap you. And punish you. And keep you. The power over sin comes when you know and care about how God feels about your sin. When God is the priority over your fleshly 
desires. I believe there are people in this auditorium that may have never thought about what God thinks about your sin. May have never thought about how I am treating God when I sin. But I believe if we're going to put, have the power over sin, that is the only way to do it, is to think and, and feel and understand what God is thinking and feeling about our sin. Sin is the very thing that separates us from God. Sin is the very thing that separates us from God. God is holy. He cannot have sin in his presence. God detests sin. He hates sin. He died for sin. And when his children openly sin and with no remorse, I believe it breaks his heart. The question is, with all this information, what are you going to do about it? Every person in this entire room is a sinner. For all have sinned. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You may be here this morning and you never thought about sin. You never thought about the fact that Jesus even died for your sin. Would you view your sin as God views it? it was, it's separating you from him. But you know what? You know else, how, how else he views it? It's already paid for. It's separating you from him. But he says, listen, come unto me. I've already paid for it. You're choosing it to... Su- to You're choosing it over me. You're allowing it to separate yourself from me. I've paid for it. Will you just view it how I view it? You may be here this morning, and you have been committing the same sin over and 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 over again. We call it our besetting sin. You just can't seem to gain the victory over it. Can I challenge you to do this? Will you get to know God's heart and what he thinks about your sin and become passionate about living for him instead of living for yourself? Spend time in prayer. You may be here this morning and you don't even think you've done anything wrong. Pastor Yeomans, I haven't sinned and I mean, I'm, I'm older now, and I, I'm more mature now, or I've been saved for X number of years, or whatever the case may be. You don't even think you have sin. Listen, would you begin asking God to let you see anything that is keeping you in a, just a residual state of dormancy? just keeps going over and over because you just, there's just something there. David said, search me, O God, and know me. Try my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Open your heart to God and say, you start choosing. You start pulling it out. You see, God wants us to conquer. God wants us to conquer the land and specifically here the the promised land. God wants us to conquer this life. God wants us to give us a life that's more abundant. But folks... Many of us are content or even scared and we're just living in a concentration camp of sin. No escape. You know what God said? There's going to be 
temptations that have taken you, but they're all common to man. And I'm going to give you, with that temptation, a way of escape. If you want power over sin, if you want to defeat sin every single time, know what God thinks about it, have his heart about it, be passionate about pursuing it, and ask him to help you to overcome it. Because he's already overcome the sin. He's already taken care of it. He's already paid for it. And if you today don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you don't even know this sin that we're talking about, it's separating you from God. And I challenge you to take care of that sin today. Will you start to discover the power over sin this morning? Let's pray.